Good morning, guys. If you guys don't know, I'm Siomara, and thank you, Pastor Freddie, for letting me have the opportunity to come up and preach the word. And so today, we're going to preach about peace, and the title of my sermon is To Find Peace, Seek the Prince of Peace. And so when you picture the word peace, just close your eyes and try to use your imagination. When you picture peace, what do you picture? Do you picture yourself under a bright sunny sky in the Bahamas or do you picture yourself finally after so long winning the lottery <laughs> and being able to have enough money to buy whatever you want, spend it on whatever you want? Or you may even imagine a world where there's no wars, there's no political drama, no more division between left and right, black and white, whatever, you know? But whatever you're picturing, I have one question. Is Jesus a part of that picture? And is he the source of the peace in your life? And people turn to all sorts of things to find peace, to find some sort of happiness, to fill a void. They sometimes turn to partying. They turn to relationships. They turn to vacations, friends, work. Anything can be used in place of God to find peace in your life. And anything can be used to drown out the chaos of this world. But at the end of the day, the only way to truly find true peace is through Jesus Christ. And none of those temporary things can truly satisfy us. Only Christ alone. And so with that, I want to turn to the book of John. Well, the gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 27. That is the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 27, and I'm going to be reading in the ESV version. And it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And the enemy is a liar. The devil is a liar, and he... Um, has also lied about what it truly means to be at peace. And I'm going to go over three ways that the enemy has lied to the world about how to have peace. And I'm going to use scripture to refute that. And so one lie that the enemy likes to tell us is that there's no peace to be found during difficult times. We all know that's a lie. But scripture says it is possible to feel complete peace even through trials and tribulations. And there is a verse that popped into my mind with that and that's psalm 94 19 in the esv and it says when the cares of my heart are many your consolations cheer my soul i love that verse and it kind of reminded me of the gospel of john when jesus promised us that he will never abandon us and he will be with us to the end of the age and that's why he brought the holy spirit sent us the holy spirit and if you look in the bible there was not one man of God that didn't suffer or go through any persecution. But even though they might have felt afraid, which we know they did, right. in the end they felt a joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding. And we can clearly see that he led every single person that saw him diligently. He was with Noah when the world flooded. He was with Lot when his city was destroyed with fire and brimstone. Yeah. He was with Abraham when he traveled to an unknown land. So good. Thank you, he was with Joseph when he got sold into slavery and with Daniel when he got thrown into the lion's den. And all the way through the New Testament, we can see that the Holy Spirit was with the apostles, even 
through all the persecution they went through. And that's how we know that we are never alone. And the Lord, he will never abandon us. And I know he's never abandoned me, even though I've abandoned him many, many times and betrayed him. And it's not okay to abuse his grace, of course, but it brings so much peace to know that his grace is sufficient for you and his grace is sufficient for me. And no matter what you're going through or how deep in sin you are, he will always love us and forgive us. And so the second lie that the enemy has told us, told the world, is that peace comes through living however you want, whatever sinful lifestyle you want. But the Bible says that peace comes through living righteously and staying on the narrow path. And so how many people here have thought, I can just get some peace. I can feel something if I just get on my phone and search things up that I'm not supposed to. Or maybe I can feel peace if I binge YouTube and Netflix all day and just numb my mind from the cares of this world or scroll through Instagram reels all day. Or maybe I can find peace by giving into temptation. I can find whatever emptiness that I have to fill. But do not be deceived. Because Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And we see the perfect example of this and in the book of Samuel, chapter 2, verses 11. And in this chapter, David sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop of his palace. And he gave into temptation, into his heart's desire, and he ended up committing adultery with her. And not only that, but after he got her pregnant, he ended up killing her husband, who was one of his soldiers, Uriah, in battle. And I don't know what he thought that was going to do, like what he thought that was going to fill, but instead of satisfying David, it actually brought him and others great pain and great suffering and sorrow. And as a result of his sin, his reputation was not only suffering, but his son died from illness. And so when we decide to give into the pleasures of this world and give into sin, we always find that sin pays us back, but it doesn't pay us back with promises of peace and fulfillment that Satan has deceived us with. That's a lie. But with even more pain, even more loneliness, even more anxiety, even more depression and hopelessness. And so number three, another lie, and the last lie I'm going to talk about is we find peace through our own efforts. But in reality, the Bible says peace comes when we surrender our effort to achieve peace. Have you ever thought that if you were just rich enough, if you were just attractive enough, if you had enough followers, had the perfect ministry, the perfect family, or the perfect home like one of those on a magazine, that you would finally feel the peace that you've been searching for? But again, that's another lie. And starting today, it's time to let go of the belief that we can achieve peace by our own strength and that we can achieve peace by controlling our life. In 1 Timothy 6, well, before that, I want to mention that contentment, I find, is one of the keys to being at peace. And I want to bring you to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, which says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of it. 
But if we have food and clothing, with these things we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And there's another verse that I really, really like. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And it says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And so I'm not saying that the Lord won't bless you with clothes or with food or with abundance. But we can't root our peace in that. We have to root our peace in the source of that. And we can't rely on our own efforts alone. We have to root our peace in Christ and be content with the little just as much as the big. When we seek the kingdom of God first, then we find that everything will fall into place. And so in conclusion, number one, complete peace is possible even during trials and tribulations. Number two, peace comes through living righteously and staying on the right path. And number three, peace comes when we surrender our efforts to achieve it. Peace isn't something that can just be achieved by our own effort, bought or sold to somebody. But peace is given, and it can only be given by the Holy Spirit, who the Lord sent as our comforter. And today there are people sitting here or watching the live stream that are searching for peace in all the wrong places, but they just can't find it. But I have good news for all of you. You don't have to search in all the wrong places anymore. There's a man who paid the price on the cross so that we don't have to live without peace anymore. And his name is Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior, and he's called the Prince of Peace. And I urge you all today to call on the name of the Lord, repent of your sins, and follow him. And that is where you'll find the peace you've been searching for. Thank you. And Keegan's up next. So this morning I'll be talking about the lies of the enemy, and we're going to be starting in Mark chapter 4. Wait till you guys flip there. (laughs) All right. So Jesus began to teach by the sea, and a large amount of people began to uh, gather, so much so that he had to even jump into a ship and teach from there. Um. But I think the cool thing about that in verse 2 is that, you know, think about it this way. I've heard it said before that if he had stayed on the shore, the disease could have touched him and they would have been instantly healed. But his his like concern, his mission there wasn't to deal with the effects of the sin rather than the sin itself. Um, So on to verse 3, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. 
The seed sowed represents the gospel, and the fowls of the air represent the uh, Satan and his demon powers. Verse five, and it uh, and some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately, because it had no depth of earth, but when it sprang up, it withered away. Um, many of us start out in Christ, but don't last long. Um, and I think it's really cool because I never thought about it till I started reading through it, but this completely unroots that, that um, doctrine of like, you could just keep going and live however you want, live like hell and be going to heaven and have no concern, just like CMR was saying, it's not a reason to keep sinning because of his grace. We aren't supposed to abuse his grace. So that completely unroots that undoctrinal script, um, like, I guess, unconditional eternal security that people try to say that is a thing, and it's not. Um, and s- so let's go on to verse 7. And it said, um, some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it out. The thorns represent the cares of this world, and it yielded no fruit. Verse 8, and others fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. How many of you know that God would continue to bless you if you would just stay rooted in his word? God would continue to bless you if you would just hold on to his promises. But how? But do you know Satan would try to do anything to try to knock you out of the promises of God, try to stomp out the good work that God started in your life? He would like nothing more. Just And the funny thing is, is like we get so shook up and we're like, well, this attack of the enemy is way stronger than anything that they dealt with in the Bible. But, you know, the thing is, is that Satan still uses the same tricks he was using way back in the time of the Bible. Remember the snake in Genesis 3, where he was like, did God really say not to eat from any tree in the garden? Well, and then again, in Matthew chapter 4, even the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. In verse 1, where it says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Um, And when he had... Oh, when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungry. You know, I want to stop right there on verse 2, where it says, and when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he had already prepared himself to deal with what was to come. He had already spent time with his father. So when the attack of the enemy came, he was already ready. There was no, uh, well, I need to, you know, sit here and read my Bible while the enemy's trying to attack me. And like, Speed praying tongues, you know, like it's not that's not what happened. He was already ready. Um, and then I like this part, but um, you're like, of course, he was hungry after he fasted. But some people are like, well, I don't know how to get into God's word. And every time I try to get into God's word or whatever, I just get so like, I don't know. I don't know. I can't seem to get myself into it. But to get hungry in the kingdom of God is when you start to dig into that, when you start to spend time in his presence. Because the opposite, the world is so opposite to the Bible that like when you start, okay, so to get hungry, you're hungry when you haven't eaten. But in the word of God, when you start to 
read the word of God, you start to get more hungry for the things of God because you've seen what he did in here and you want to see him do it again. Um, and sorry, one second. (laughs) Okay. And then moving on to verse three and it said, and Satan said to him, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But when he answered and said, it is written Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Hold up. He said, it is written, right? He knew his word. Um, Yet again, if you are firmly rooted in the word of God, when Satan tries to come around and roar his big, ugly mouth with all these lies, trying to tell you all these different things, he can't stand against the word of God. There's nothing that can. Nothing. Nothing. In these times that we live in, in this day that we live in, there's so many different lies that people would like to pass as truth, especially to your kids, especially to this younger generation, especially to my generation. Um, so many different things. In the schools, they're even teaching transgenders. They're teaching, tr- teaching about gays. And if you don't feel right with yourself, then you can change yourself. But God's made you individual, special. God formed you in your mother's womb. And there's so many lies that they have to battle and go back and forth with. But thank God for parents that stand in the word of God. And they know, they know who God is. And that they have continued to raise their children up in the way that they should go. Because we can stand on his word, right? This applies in 1 Peter. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into light. See, but this isn't the first time that Satan has tried to take out God's people, tried to take out God's children. See, back in Moses' time, Pharaoh was so scared of the people of God. He was so scared that they were going to rise up and walk right out of his hands because they were growing greater and greater in power. They were even getting greater than the Egyptians at that time. And so he decided that he was going to tell the midwives to go and kill every single Israelite baby that was a boy that was born. And I thought this was the coolest thing ever, that they... Instead of listening to what fathers, uh, Pharaoh said and just following what he said, because most people would, right? If you have this big ruler of the land, he, he has slaves. He beats people for a living, right? His, his, like literally. But you're going to go against him? So they stood. They stood and they said, well, these Israelite women, these Israelite women are so crazy that they have, are, are actually having kids faster than we can kill them. And so they stood for life. They stood for life at that moment. See, even back then, we were dealing with the issues that we have now. We're dealing with the same issues, right? Because we deal with abortion today. But because those midwives stood for life, instead of going with what the enemy would have them to try to do, he, they, ble- they got blessed by God. God blessed them. God blessed their families. Amen.
And so going forth, Moses was called by God. Moses was called by God, and he had called him to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go so they can come worship me, right? But Pharaoh wouldn't listen. And every time his heart would be con uh, continue to be hardened and continue to be hardened more and more and more. And God would have to show his wrath, show his presence, show that he's greater by sending these plagues. And so eventually it came to the point where he set the, sent the angel of death. And God told Moses, if you were to put the blood of the lamb on the door, if you were to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the door, this will pass. This shall pass over you. How many of you know that even though we don't sacrifice lambs today, Jesus paid a price a long time ago on the cross, so we don't have to do that anymore. And if you believe in Jesus, the blood of the lamb is applied to your life, is applied to your children's lives, applied to your household, that none of the attacks of the enemy could come against you, that Satan doesn't have room to come try to destroy you because Jesus is with you. If God is for you, who can be against you? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. But that's, that's not available to anyone, just anyone unless they accept Jesus, right? It's so important. It's so important. Jesus can wipe away all that. Jesus can protect you. Jesus can, Jesus can heal you. But it's because of the blood he shed. Because of the blood he shed. So I just encourage you today that if you feel that tugging on your spirit, you may be saying, you may be saying, well, I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've walked too far away. I knew God, but I walked away. I knew God, but I've let all this stuff happen in my life. I encourage you to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He'll clean all that up. He'll clean all that up. If you just come to him. Thank you, Lord. So good. Awesome. All right, I'm going to hand the mic over to Owen. Let's go. <laughs> Great job. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Hallelujah. Man, we had some good preachers today, huh? Thank you, guys. That first one was really pretty, wasn't she? Uh, I'm a little partial. Um, no, but you guys both did really awesome. I, you know, I appreciate hearing you guys. And uh, I think Keegan uh, must have seen my notes before he went up there because he had a couple of my points. Um, so if you guys have your Bibles, and you really should, um, open up to Romans 12, 11. I'll give you a couple seconds there. And uh, while you're doing that, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a question. How many of us in here, if I asked you, and I, I'm sure it's a lot of you, almost all of you, if I said, who wants revival to start? You'd all raise your hand, right? It'd be almost, but just about all of us, right? We all want revival to start in New England. I mean, if we're gathering here to see a move of God, why wouldn't we want to see God move, right? So, I think, though, we forget the concept of revival implies that you were once dead, Right? So how, how can you be revived if you're already alive in Christ, right? And I'm not saying that we don't want revival. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that I think a lot of us 
were once on fire for God, and we had once had zeal for God, but we let that go. Like Keegan was saying, we, we, we let that fizzle out and die. And so that's kind of what Romans 12:11 is talking about. If you read it, it says, it's real short. It says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. All right, that's what he's talking about. He's, he's saying, don't let your fire die out, right? Amen. Amen. So put that in the spirit. So spiritually, like, clearly, obviously, we're not dying, but, like, you're allowing that fire to fizzle out and die. Like, right, if you don't feed a fire, right. it kind of just goes out. That's what happens to us. Well, them dies, right? And it, it, it fizzles out. That fire goes out. And we're sitting there waiting for the next evangelist to come by and to, and to you know, bring the fire back and to, and to impart that gift onto us and, and to, to make us somehow be alive in our spirit, somehow be, be moving and active, right? But it doesn't happen. And at, at time after time, we hear preacher after preacher and nothing happens for us, right? Has anybody experienced that? Because that was my story for a while. I'll tell you the reason we haven't seen that great fire, that great revival come yet. It's because the church, not, I'm not talking about just you guys, I'm talking about the church, the American church in general, wants to wait for everybody else to bring it to them, but they don't want to start it themselves. We don't want to do anything ourselves. Listen, it's not Pastor Freddie's job to bring revival. It's not my job to bring a revival. I, I, I want to be part of it, absolutely. But it's time we stop waiting for revival to come and hit us, and we start acting in the revival that he started when he raised from the dead, when he died on that cross for your sins, and he rose and he ascended, and he commanded us to go out and make disciples. It's time we stop praying for revival and realize that he sent us to do that. Because listen, getting through, getting through is not enough. There's too many of us. Like we'll, we'll come into church and maybe some of us will go to the extra church things, right? Where we'll go to Bible study and prayer and all the, all, whenever the doors are open, we're in here. And we claim, well, I have a relationship with God. Well, you know, like that old phrase, well, I don't have religion, I have relationship. Right, right. But right. if you're not going any further in your relationship, then is it really a relationship, or are you just an acquaintance of God? So the Bible says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Just because you might be at a point where you have power in your life, or you might be a, at, at a point where you, you know, you've seen great miracles, you've seen great moves of God, doesn't mean that you should stop. Because think about this, right? right? Some of you guys are married. Did you just get married to your wife and stop getting to know her? No. I don't imagine you. If you did, you got to work on that, man. But, um, I mean, what do I know? Um, if you want, 
when you're, you, we are the bride of Christ, we ought to be getting to know God a little more, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should get a little more intimate with Christ. Because relationship is kind of like water, right? If you let it sit still and you don't touch it and you don't disturb it, and you don't, you know, jostle around, it stagnates and you get that green slime, it's kind of nasty. Um, don't let your relationship with Christ get nasty. See, I think a lot of people think, and I, I thought this too, that, well, I've been saved for this many years, you know, I've arrived. I've heard that, that, I mean, everybody wants, like, they're waiting for when will I arrive, or, you know, they think I've arrived. I'll tell you something, nobody ever arrived. I haven't arrived. Pastor Freddie hasn't arrived. Nobody in this room has arrived, right? And we won't until we reach glory. And, you know, these people that do think they have arrived, a lot of them, if you ask them, you know, or you call them out and say, hey, man, you know, I have noticed you haven't, you're not getting any deeper. The first thing you'll hear is, well, do you know how long I've been saved? Well, yeah, I do know how long you've been saved. And that's why you should have worked on it by now. Come on. And I think. The, the problem is we've lost, like Keegan said, we don't have hunger anymore. Where did our hunger go? And I'm not talking, clearly, I'm not talking about, you know, the potluck we're all waiting for. Because, come on, who doesn't love a good potluck? We're Pentecostal, right? So, the thing is, so, even, even Paul, right? He didn't just stop there. He wrote in 2 Timothy 4.13, which is his last letter that he ever wrote. He said to Timothy, uh, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring the books and above all the parchments. Paul, what I'm trying to say, that sounds kind of redundant, but what Paul's saying is he's like, I don't, even though I know I'm about to die, I still want to learn more. I want to go deeper with Christ. I want to study further into my Lord, the one who saved me. Paul didn't stop. And so Paul had that hunger, right? But how do we get that hunger? It's like Keegan said, it's spiritual eating. You don't get hungry spiritually from not eating. You don't get hungry from starving. Right. And, and I'll tell you something. I actually like to look at it and, and I'm going to get stoned for saying this. Um, spiritual hunger is almost like a drug addiction, you know, what I mean, in a good way, in a good way. Right. Please don't kill me. Um, you know, for instance, if you use drugs, right, if you never, ever touch drugs in your life, you're probably not going to want them. Right. You're not going to have that strong desire that an addict would. But if you take them, right, you're going to have that desire. And then the more you take, the more you're going to need, and the more you're going to want, and the more you're going to look to get more, right? Well, the same thing is with spiritual hunger. The more you taste and see, the more you eat of the word, right, the more you fill yourself with God's word and you, and you listen to him and you, you spend time with him, the more you're going to want. And the more and more, the deeper and deeper you're going to want to go with God. The more you interact with him, the more you're going to need of him. And I want to get to a point where I can't go a single second without the Lord being in my life. Right? 
So what kind of things we do? You know, I think I heard a, a preacher, I think, I oh, forget his name, but he said you need to build an atmosphere of anointing, right? And I was like, that struck me. I was like, that's pretty good. So I'm going to use it. Um, listen, when the word is all you hear, when the things of God are all you hear, all, all that comes in and enters your body, that's all that can come out. There was an old phrase we used to all, I mean, we've all heard it, you are what you eat. If you keep eating spiritually and you keep consuming the word and you keep consuming, you're, you're, all you listen to is praise and worship and all you're hearing is preaching and, and teaching and, and the word of God, that's all that can come out of you. That's how revivals start. Is when a people start saying, you know what? All I want is Christ. All I want is him. That's my one desire. And where was I? Sorry about that. When you do this, you got to you got to make sure you give it your all. Right. You, you can't be with Christ. You can't be half in and half out. He said, if, it, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Right. And so I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm serving God. And I'm trying I read my Bible every day and I I do this, the spiritual things I eat spiritually. But I can't do what you do, or I can't go do what God has. You know, God called me at one point to do this. But I can't do that anymore because, you know, I have a family, and I have kids, and I have a mother, and I have, a, you know, I have, you know, children. I have a wife or a husband or whatever. And we say, well, we can't, well, I can't do that anymore. Listen, Christ said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and does not hate his own father, and his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And now I'm not saying hate your mother, father, wife, kids, etc. But if your love is for Christ is not so great that it makes your love for your family comparatively hate, then you're not doing enough. Right? You still can do the thing. If God's called you to do something, he didn't call you just for no reason. He, he anticipated what, where you are right now. And he knows that this was going to happen. And if God has called you to do something, I suggest you do it. it if you claim to be a follower of Christ, be willing to give it all to, to Christ. Because he gave it all to you on the cross. So Luke 14 28 through 30 says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. This man begin to build and has not been able to finish. Give it your all. Make sure, if, you, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Christ, make sure you can follow through. You're going to give your all. That's the decision you've made. And Peter clearly understood this, right? So anybody know, does anybody know what happened to Peter after the events of the Bible? Peter was crucified. If you look, you know, the, the Christian tradition, you can find this. Peter was crucified, I believe, upside down. And while he was dying, he preached the gospel. He was so concerned, even though he was dying, to the very end, he was preaching the kingdom. 
So then isn't it a shame that he can die preaching, but we can't even give up a couple meals to be in the presence of God? When was the last time we fasted, huh? We need to get serious. And that's what I'm here to tell you. That's the, the big overarching thing of this is we need to be serious about this. We want that, that, that spiritual tsunami that, that we were prophesied to about. We want that, that revival that's supposed to be coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. It can come, but it starts in you. If, it is, if we want revival, it's got to be the individual saying, God, I want you. It can't just wait. We can't just wait for someone to lay hands on us and say, you know what? You have the fire. No, no, you got to light that fire and eat the word. You've got to feed it fuel. Come on. So if the musicians want to come up real quick, I'll leave you with this. If you want revival and you want to see the nations change for the better and you want to see the gospel spread and you want to see the fire of God come down and, and sweep our nation and sweep our world, then you got to make a decision for yourself. Will I follow God with all my heart? Will I lay down my cares for his? Will I chase God with every ounce of my being? And so maybe you're not at that point and you want to be and you want prayer. Come up. Maybe, maybe you're not even saved, though. Maybe you haven't made that decision to follow Christ. And if that's you and, and you want to be part of this, we're here to pray with you. My, myself and I think, you know, Pastor will come pray too and Seymour. And, and but if you want to be saved, to, en to enter the kingdom of God, if you want to, or if you want to be involved in that revival, come up. We'll be here for a few minutes. You guys need to start playing softly. We'll, we'll wait. I'm just.